0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.tv, University of California Television. Like what you learn, help others discover UCTV
1: podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome to the Pollock Theater. This is the third season launch of Script to Screen. Uh, Script to Screen studies screenwriting uh, from the screenwriter's perspective, and we're very proud to have the series here, with Devil Wears proud of, of course. It is produced by the Carsey-Wolf Center, the Department of Film and Media Studies. And you see these lovely polytheater interns wearing white on the cameras. They're the ones that really made this event happen. Uh, our guest tonight, though, wrote a lot of great scripts. Three to Tango, starring Matthew Perry. Laws of Attraction, starring Pierce Brosnan and Julianne Moore. Morning Glory with the Mean Girl Herself, Rachel McAdams. Uh, and of course, we bought a zoo with Matt Damon and someone named Scarlett Johansson. Never heard of her. She's also written the upcoming film Cinderella and Annie. And of course, Devil Wears Prada. So please welcome to the Pollock Theater, the voice behind the devil, Eileen Brosh McKenna. So what was it like seeing Devil Wears Prada in the Pollock Theater? with such an enthusiastic... It was
0: great. I watched the last half of it. I haven't seen it in a long time, as we were saying. So it was great. Uh,
1: yeah, because a lot of our students actually didn't get a chance to see it in the theater. So right. it was kind of right, great right, right. that Yes, it's they. Been out uh, forever. Yeah, so writers like to draw on personal experience yeah. when they're writing. Yeah. What boss tormented you so much in life <laughs> that made you want to take <laughs> you know, on I the didn't, story?
0: I didn't, have a, I didn't have a mean boss. I mean, I work with people who are difficult, but I didn't have a mean boss. But what I was familiar with was I had worked for a lot of people and seen how when you work for someone, you get obsessed with them. And um, I have, for many years, I had my office inside the office of a producer. And he was a lovely guy, but it always made me laugh that it would be like, you know, he's in a good mood today. He's not in a good mood today. He had a chicken sandwich. He didn't have a chicken sandwich. He's blah, blah, blah. He's going here. You know, it was everybody, the whole office kind of vibrated to what he was doing and thinking. And so that was a lot of what I drew on this thing where, you know, your whole metabolism runs to this person. And the thing that always makes me laugh is when you're young and you're starting, you have these very elaborate relationships with these people and they don't know who you are. You know, you're sort of your whole, you know, the the sun rises and sets on them, and they barely know what your name is. Uh,
1: So what what, was one of the themes, the the, the idea of like a young person struggling to find themselves, was that one of the themes that kind of grabbed you for this?
0: You know, I had so much been this person because I moved to New York after college, and I tried to write freelance for magazines, and I was just a total, utter failure at that. And I had a lot of embarrassing experiences sort of trying to get my career started. And I had a small group of 20-something friends. And we were all sort of trying to get our lives going. Um, And so I really related to it on that level. And then I also related to it on the level of Miranda's point of view, which is a career woman sort of struggling to balance these areas of her life and sort of what she's going through in that in that respect. So I I related to both characters, I think.
1: And talking about the New York thing, I found it really interesting that all her twenty-something New York friends mocked her career choice, but loved the product gifts.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's always yeah, the swag is always really popular with people. I mean, one of the things that makes me giggle when I watch the movie is, you know, you don't really get to keep any of that stuff. Like any of the clothes and stuff that they're lent or that are in the closet, the girl—it's not like she would have a suitcase full of stuff, but for the movie, she does.
1: Uh, so, was materialism a important theme for you for the? Uh...
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 very seductive, and um, when you're around that and you see sort of, you know, you, and I think in any workplace you kind of adjust your. Um, the way you relate to the world based on your workplace, and so she's surrounded by so much of this. So she can always say, "I'm not doing as much. I'm not caring as much. I'm not as obsessed." You know, she really and she can say that, but she does get caught up in it.
1: Uh, so one thing. So when you talk about Anne Hathaway's character, Andy, yeah. did you was it more interesting writing her as the kind of shy, naive, stumbling one, or the one gaining confidence, or did?
0: Well, what I always love about it, what I love about Anne's performance, and I love about the character is. You know, she's not that innocent when you start. She's 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 sort of um, inexperienced, but she, she has pretty high self-regard. Like, I always love the thing where she's tucking her silly stories into her folder to bring them with her on her interview, and she sort of looks at them, and then she's like, yeah, those are good. These are really good. And um, I think the movie does a good job, and Anne does a great job of capturing that thing where you're like, you know, you're going into the world, and you're like, I'm not sure, but I could be awesome. Maybe I'm awesome, you know, and I think... One of the fun things about the movie is it's sort of what she realizes, it's that phase in your life where you realize how little you know. That's really what she realizes in this movie. She doesn't really learn much. She learns how little she knows and how much she needs to learn.
1: Is that something where she needs that kind of a little arrogance in the beginning for us to buy at the end her kind of becoming even more arrogant? Like, do you need I mean, a little? I think
0: you need to have to show that she she... She thinks she has something going on because you're about to watch her get kicked in the face for a very long time. And and again, I think one of the things that's great about Anne's performance is that you know, she she definitely seems like a good person and young and naive, but you also feel like she's got the strength to go up against this person. You know, she does have an inner sense of like I, I matter, my point of view matters, and and if you would just listen to me, there's something there. And that is, in fact, what happens. I mean, Miranda does actually come to respect her, and so she's not wrong about that. And I, you know, when I was re-watching it now, I, I feel like it's a pretty, um, I mean, I don't want to say it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's not that daring, but I, I think it's a pretty... Uh, honest attempt to try and depict a woman who is sort of in process and believes in herself in certain ways and doesn't in other ways um, but you know she knows this guy's hitting on her and she's saying a bunch of times to him like I get that you're hitting on me I mean she's a pretty, pretty confident um, and, I, and I like that about it I, like I
1: thought it. it came great off in the interview because you needed something to attract Miranda to her
0: right yeah, yeah. I mean she's definitely her, her, her smartness comes across you know
1: uh, so when you talked about the beating up, was those fun scenes to write? The Miranda beating up on... All- yeah, no, there's,
0: no, there's no end to how enjoyable that is. I mean, in fact, um, you know, Meryl liked to have the dialogue before a scene. So sometimes I would just write... Some of it is in the movie. I would just write B pages that were stuff that she was saying that's not in the, mo- in the movie, strictly speaking. Like, I wrote the fight that she has with her husband. I wrote it for her, even though it's in the movie. Um... And you know, I really got to the point where all I—I I, I just would go through the world, imagining how Miranda would see it. You know, that she would be like, "Oh, I see, water bottles, plastic water bottles. hmm Kirkland water, what is that?" You know, I mean, I just—you you got to the thing where everything. You know, she's she's an insult comic, and um, when I was growing up, my dad and I we loved Don Rickles, and she's just she's very insulting, and it's it was incredibly fun to write.
1: Um, you now, the real fashion world has such an unhealthy body image yes. for women. Uh, you to touched on this very funny way with Andy. Yeah. Uh, there's absolutely no way I can ask this question yeah. without putting my foot in my mouth as yeah. a man. Yeah. So I beg you, can you talk a little about the body image theme?
0: Well, um, you know, I, I don't. I actually think, in a strange way, I know it's it's a huge part of the movie, but I think it's probably uh under-stressed with respect to what the world is like i mean being thin it's a huge deal with those magazines you just don't see people people of normal size don't work there women um and so whether or not they're going to paris or whatever the the assistants and the editors they kind of have to be skinny and so and obviously the models need to be skinny so there's an enormous amount of time and energy and effort that goes into that and talking about that and talking about diets and the magazines themselves are obsessed with it And so we really wanted to, um, you know, that's, it was, it's just, it's very accurate. And so uh, Anne is actually slender and she's padded a bit in the beginning of the movie because, um, so that you can see some difference between her and the other girls. But it's rather slight. But in that world, even being, you know, 10 pounds bigger than someone else is a big deal. Um, And I, I think all women have a very complicated relationship to, thin and wanting to be thin and all that stuff obviously and so that stuff was also pretty easy to access um, you know everybody has friends who have you know Emily has some variety of low grade eating disorder and we all know people like that and I think there's you know teeny part of every woman that really relates to that thing of trying to to adhere to that so you know uh, I don't think the movie endorses it I hope it doesn't
1: you, know. you were very generous to to give us a script scene for limo scenes in your program because this is my one of, this is my favorite scene. Uh, all the glamour and comedy has kind of been stripped away and uh-huh. complete raw revelation. As a writer, do you start with that and build toward that? that you know, this is my end goal, this kind uh-huh. of scene, and I have to craft it to get there. Or is it something you know, that the, kind of develops? The prevails? idea
0: of um, twinning and that they sort of that she has become unlike. You know that she keeps thinking of herself as being in opposition to this woman and I'm nothing like her and I'm nothing like her and unbeknownst to herself, she has actually started to wander down this path. She doesn't see herself that way. And that Miranda says this to her as a compliment and to her it's incredibly unnerving because she doesn't see herself that way at all. And it's less about, you know, I always saw it as being less an indictment of... um, that world in particular, as it, it's, to me it's more of an indictment of somebody who is so focused on their goals that she doesn't really worry too much about what, how people are gonna feel. And that's, that really is ultimately Miranda's uh, uh, flaw, is that she just sort of does what she needs to do and moves people around like chess pieces and doesn't worry so much about how they're gonna feel about stuff. So she can move Emily over here and Nigel over there. Um, and that's the thing really that, that Andy is responding to more than the specifics of that world.
1: No, it was a tragedy. The interesting well, thing was the tragedy. Is Meryl Streep? I think kind of knows. Yeah. She's a piece mover. It's actually very fascinating that she, Annie doesn't realize that she herself is actually moving the piece. It's like she's yeah, just Yeah, she like doesn't her. know. Well, that's the thing. Annie yeah. doesn't
0: realize um, she knows not. She doesn't know anything. And I think one of the things that uh, Meryl and I talked a lot about, because I think I had written it a little bit more vain, um, and. In the last line of that scene, which is, don't be ridiculous, everybody wants to be us. I had originally written it, nobody, everybody wants to be me. And we had a reading of the script, and she just changed it. She just said, everybody wants to be us, and then she sort of looked at me like... Um, and then we, um, the whole idea that she's sort of a samurai, like really what Miranda cares about is upholding this magazine. She really cares deeply about not letting it down on her watch. I think that's more than her own ego, more than her own advancement, which she really cares about. I really do think that she stabs everybody in the back at the end to stay there, really not because it's what she wants selfishly, but what she's telling herself is, this is what's best for runway, and what's best for runway is best for fashion, and what's best for fashion is what's best for everybody. So. That's how I see that.
1: Uh, well, look we at Meryl Streep's character. Uh, I find it fascinating because when I make outrageous demands of my students, they yes. pour scalding hot coffee on my head. They do. But you you had to craft a character that you can get away with it. Right. <laughs> so was it a balance challenging her kind of a cruelty enough to make it believable, you know, to
0: keep her true to the character? Um, yeah, I mean, she, you know, the, it was important that it never seem ridiculous. And the thing I always said was, you know, when you... Uh, like, anybody who's ever gone to Starbucks and gotten their order wrong, so they get their order wrong, knows that feeling of, like, you know, you get the thing back, and it's not what you ordered, and you're like, ugh, oh, how hard is that to make the coffee? I could not have been clearer, you know? I feel like everybody can tap into that sense of, like, how difficult is it to get the thing that I asked for, even if it's on a small level, you know? Um, so... You know, I just that feeling that you get when you get blueberry pancakes and you specifically said you didn't want any is that's her whole life because she's so busy and she's so she's got so many things to do that you know, not having the right coffee or not having the car at the moment that she needs it to her feels like a disaster. So it's again, it's not coming from vanity, it's not coming from a desire to squeeze other people under her thumb. It really is legitimately in her mind coming from. I have to get all these things, all these things done. It's super important. It's super important to the magazine. I don't have a second to spare, so I don't have a second to deal with people's stupidity because that's going to slow me down. It
1: actually, makes it more appealing to us because if it was about vanity, we kind of would have been turned off to the character.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, I think you see that in her that she's, you know, I don't think it seems like when she says, "Go ahead," uh, I thought, "Go ahead, hire the smart fat girl." Um, she really is thinking to herself, my God, you know, here I did this thing that was like an amazing, I stepped outside the box here and didn't hire another one of these skinny minis and look at this, this is also disappointing. You know, she, she really is trying to accomplish stuff and people who stand in her way are what she doesn't like. She doesn't do it to torture people, you know?
1: I, lo- I, I mean, think. I love, the, the thing about the script I love the most is everything is subtle. The character is always very subtle. And there's a question about the divorce scene. Yeah. When she actually lets her guard down. Yeah. Even a little. As a writer, do you have to think about how far do I let her guard down? How much do I pull back on her?
0: Yeah, I mean, she can't ever, you know, I think she, Annie catches her at a low moment. And she's sort of, you know, she really is like, you know, her face is naked. And she, she catches her at a moment and she gives her a little glimpse but if you'll notice everything she talks about really in that scene is like logistical stuff like how are we going to deal with the press and what's going to happen to my daughter she really isn't I don't actually think in in terms of a scene where she actually sees Andy and is responding to Andy I actually think the limo scene is really the only there's only two moments where I really truly think that she is trying to communicate something to her and that's the limo scene is one of them in the divorce scene she really is in a way kind of talking to herself Which is why when Andy tries to be helpful to her, she's like, doesn't want to talk to her about it.
1: Uh, My other favorite Miranda moment, there's many, is the Harry Potter Uh unpublished book seed. Totally setting her up, but her almost very subtle reaction of, like, I really respect you. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was a fun sequence. Um, That wasn't, you know, that was a funny thing then, because I can't remember where we were on the Harry Potter books, but they were, like, coming out so fast and furious that it was, like... I think it says number seven on it, and I don't think that's right, but it was just, it seemed like, well, that's fine. There's so many of them coming out.
1: Uh, And so what was it like working with Meryl? Since we're talking about a character. It was just,
0: I was telling you, you know, they, we had written the script, and we were sort of, they sent it to Meryl, we were waiting to hear, and I was walking down the street, and the director called and said, you know, um, she's interested in doing it, I just have to meet with her, she has to approve me, him. And I knew he's amazing, and I knew she was going to love him. And I remember I sat on this very tall curb, um, and I cried. I mean, I just could not believe. I knew she was going to say yes in that moment that, you know, I knew she would approve him. And I just couldn't, you know, we'd worked on the script for a long time not knowing who it was going to be. And I remember saying to him a bunch of times, like, there were scenes where I would say, well, in this scene... Um, if it's not Merrill, we'll need a line here. If it's Merrill, we don't need a line, you know. So the first time through, I just didn't write those lines, thinking, you know, maybe we'll have Merrill and if we don't, maybe I'll write those lines later, because I knew there was so much she could do without lines. And then when she signed on to do it, I got to go and meet with her at her house, and I really, uh, I remember everything about, like, where I was sitting, it was raining, and what I wore, and I was beside my... I mean, I just was beside myself. Because I think the way you know, if you're really a fan of somebody's, is whether you've seen all their movies without intending to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I've seen every Merrill movie, and it wasn't because I set out to see them because they're Meryl. It's just her sensibility and what she chooses, and, you know. So um, we went in, and we sat down, and she is so smart and she said so many smart things about the script and I'll just you know one thing that is very, she really always wanted to say less, she just wanted to do less, she wanted to be this like very calm person and that other, everyone else is kind of pinging off things and she's really calm and the scene where she goes to James's, excuse me, studio and he auditions for her used to be a scene where she would go and click through the racks and say stuff about the clothes and it was about this long and it had a bunch of dialogue with her and she was like, I don't think she would say all this. And she just says nothing in that scene. She just purses her lips. And you know, Meryl was always, um, it, you know, in, interesting. Like the character, she's extremely unvain. You know, about her acting, she just wants to do what's best for the story. Um, so, and and with the limo scene, um, I was on the set, and the limo scene was one of the last things that was shot. And I was there, um, and I. Went up to her and I said, I have some ideas about how to improve the limo scene. And she said, no, I like it the way it is. I'm fine with it. And then she went off and then I was sitting in my chair and she came up to me and she said, well, if you were going to change it, what would you do? And I pitched her some things and she said, "Good that, go do that. And that's the scene.
1: And normally, because you can tell that a lot of times screenwriters don't get to work with the actors. Yeah, and like. I've,
0: so I've written on movies where I wasn't there or I was there as a tourist or whatever. But this one, I, um, the director was... Um, when, the, when, when the director came on, they said you can hire whatever you, writer you want. And I didn't know him, and I just assumed that he was going to hire someone he knew. Um, but somehow, miraculously, I got a meeting through this woman, Carla Hacken, who worked at um, Fox 2000, and the, um, the woman who was running the studio is actually Santa, lives in Santa Barbara, Elizabeth Gabler And um, I went in to meet with them, and I thought, you know, I don't know him, and I don't have anything to lose, so I just, I just. Pitched my art out. And um, from that moment on until the movie wrapped, I don't think there was a day I didn't work on the movie.
1: And the thing is you mentioned, like, we were writing for Meryl, it must have given you a little more freedom knowing she could do stuff non-verbally, like as a writer. I like, can't you th-
0: even. I mean, the whole cast was like, you know, no one had ever, em- Emily Blunt had done one movie and no American movies. And we had this run through, and the producer, Wendy Feinerman, had found her. And I'd seen her on tape, but I'd never seen her live. And we did this read-through. And she literally, she started doing her thing. And I was like, I kind of wanted to stand up and say, does everybody see what's happening here? Does everyone understand what's happening here? I mean, it was so staggering. And then I took her aside, uh, because the character was not supposed to be British. And, but it was so funny, her being mean and British. So I then took her aside and we went and had coffee and we went through some things to make it more sort of in a British vernacular. And then there's some things like there's that thing about I'm hearing this and I wanna hear this, which is from Emily's life. I mean, she's incredibly funny. So all the actors, you know, on this movie brought so much to it um, in every way. But you know, Meryl is, is a clinic.
1: Personally, I don't know. My I love Emily's quote. I'm sorry. Do you have a, some prior commitment, some hideous skirt convention to go to? Hideous skirt convention. But of course, yeah. I'm on this new diet. Well, I'm don't eat anything. And when I feel like I'm about to faint, I eat a cube of cheese. Uh, so, so it was fun writing her. Did so Amazing. you so basically when you knew her comedic timing, you started kind of crafting I mean, things just, for her. I mean,
0: we just I think we probably every piece of footage we shot with Emily is in the movie. She just was so funny that you know, if you could have her walking down the street. Eating a hot dog, you would put it in the movie. I mean, she just, she just, she just so nailed it, and they were so funny together. And she made, um, I mean, the other thing is she was so excited to be there because it was her first American movie. That there's this the scene where she's um, yelling at her. Uh, was not a day that Emily was supposed to work, but she would come to work when she didn't need to work because she just was excited to be there. So that scene where she's getting yelled at, Emily's standing, she's not, you can't see her, she's not even in focus, but she's standing in the back listening to her just because she was there on that day and she thought it would be funny that Emily would be, like, skulking around. Um, so she just is, was, was unbelievable. the other person who was just amazing to be around was, was Stanley, because, you know, he just embodied that character in every way, and he uh, he's just so good with t- making a moment out of everything. I just was noticing here that scene where he's telling her about the job. He's eating a piece of candy. Like, he's so excited, and he can't believe. He's like a little kid. He thinks he's actually probably... For a moment, he thinks he's going to get out of prison, you know, and he's really excited about it. And you just feel so bad for him when the door goes like that, and you know he's never getting out, ever, ever. And that's
1: the thing, interesting, because Nigel is really one of the only characters she respects, Miranda. Like she, she's nicer to him and meeting and like. like
0: to, she's, she yes. respects
1: him as respects a because of the magazine But I thing. think she
0: thinks he's Peter Principal. Like I right. think she thinks that that's as that's as high a rank as Nigel should go to. That's what I think. I but think ultimately,
1: he's the most betrayed, though. Like, right, because I
0: think she feels like that's good. He's good where he is. He can stay there.
1: So do you think she'll make it up to him? Remember he says, I have to no, hope. No, I
0: think he's still there. Uh. <laughs> I think he's still doing the same stuff he's been doing.
1: Um, interesting. A little bit, we'll talk a little bit at the end. Uh, do you think the audience reaction would have been different if Miranda didn't write the letter? Did you need that letter recommendation some way to? Because you know, we just so had the funny beat up scene with I was Idol. watching
0: that and like, I've seen the movie so many thousands of times. Not recently, but that's the one thing that like made my throat catch a little bit. Like, I just think that that is such a great validation for her um, that this person has seen her value. And it kind of justifies, because otherwise it sort of seems like, why did this happen? And I really love that thing in the end where she sees her and she sort of looks at her and, I mean, that's again... Best actress in the world. She looks at her and she's sort of like, "Oh, it's great to see you. Now stop looking at me, you idiot." You know, <laughs> there's all those things in there. So um, I, don't, I find that move, that movie that moment kind of moving.
1: Uh, and so, is do you enjoy writing the ensemble piece because you have so many different characters oh and kind of?
0: Yeah, no, this was incredibly fun. And the two guys in the movie, I think, are also great. And I. I always feel like Adrian, in some ways, is sort of the uh, who plays her, who plays Nate is sort of the unsung hero of the movie because, you know, they really could have cast like a really um, soap opera-ish, handsome, you know, guy. But I feel like that is the boyfriend you have in college, that guy. I mean, Adrian in a lot of scenes is wearing his T-shirt. You know, like, he is the guy with that hair and those t-shirts who plays in a band and wears those jeans. Like, I just think he is so authentically your college boyfriend, and that's so hard to do. And I really was was realizing this time, like, she's so mean to him. And, like, I'll be in bed in a second. Um, But I think he just... Both of the guys, the love interests, I think, really go for it, you know. And it makes
1: the audience feel more because we do like Adrian, yeah. And you know, and, he's and we do, right. and we're seeing it coming the whole entire movie. Yeah, just I like... love
0: the line where you see the thing where he says, "I make port wine reductions all day." Like he's—he's he's <laughs> not, you know, he really isn't uh, judgmental of her until she starts to round the bend.
1: And blows off his birthday.
0: Yeah, that anyway. was—it's funny. I was watching, thinking that that might be interesting for students. That was excruciatingly. If there was one thing that we struggled with the most. It was, uh, where is she going and does she like, I had written scenes where they're out at a nightclub and there's a band playing and she shows up late or there's a dinner or there's all these kinds of things and then we just, you know, the budget was such that why, why would we spend what would be an expensive thing to just basically have her disappoint him and that's the whole point of it and so, the director came up with this great thing of the cupcake and the candle because really what you're expecting to see is her walking into a room full of people that are all having it, right? But we just could never find the right way to do that. Um, And, you know, I kind of like it later when he says, what am I, four years old? Because that's not what he's bummed about, you know?
1: And it's actually a lot more subtle. Yeah. Like, you know, it's kind of intimate and subtle. Yeah, I don't
0: know where. I was watching now. I was thinking, when does she light? Is she really standing in the hallway? Like... When did she get those lighter? And, but it's a movie.
1: Uh, interesting, you mentioned before the idea of writing a, you know, Meryl. The really the, the right before the scene. Do you like backstories for you in your character bios and just to get as a writer? I don't really
0: write character bios, but I mean, I what I loved about that was, you know, as I said, some of it ended up in the movie, just little bits of it there, here and there, because we wrote these befores and afters, and it just, it was really fun to inhabit that world I mean I remember there was a moment where I thought wow we we really are kind of in this world in a good way and it's it's the moment the director found where the girl looks at herself in her computer thing and her computer camera and I just thought wow we're really um, inside the world in a smart way like he really the director really was inside the world in a smart way like I don't I would never have thought of that and it was an exact use of like what it's like to work in an office in that time I think it nails that really well
1: Uh, also challenges adapting a book what what did you have to kind of like throw away and what did you really need to keep for yourself
0: well the book has a tremendous amount of detail the book is a tremendously well researched book and has a lot of detail which was real and I could tell that it was real and it comes off the page as being really real Um, and so you know I did not have to do that much much research because the book is so kind of rock solid in that respect but the book doesn't have a plot and um, the book is sort of I mean, the book does have a plot, but it has more to do with, like, her friend from home and her boyfriend, and it's less work-related. So all the stuff about James and Nigel and and that kind of business is all constructed. So we, you know, it was like, it really is, there's not a ton of plot in the movie, but there's this souffle. And one kind of cool thing about working with an author was um, Lauren and I didn't get to know each other until I, I think we were making the movie, and I met her a few months before we started shooting, and I was glad that I hadn't met her before that because she's stunning and tall and blonde and skinny. And I really would have, I think, contorted my view of the character. But she, um, she was always so supportive of the script. And I remember she, she gave me the script, her script back once. And she had written one line in the margins. And it was when she says, if you don't go to Paris, I, assu- I will assume you're not serious about your career at this publication. And in the margin she had written, or at any other publication. And that's like five words that are hugely strengthening of the plot. Because Annie doesn't really care about working at Runway. You have to believe that she believes that if she fails at Runway, she's going to fail elsewhere. Um, and that was, an, that was just a little thing that Lawrence scribbled in the margin that I thought was great.
1: One change for me is Annie gets fired, if I'm not mistaken, in the book. It's, it's, no, it's, she quits. She quits?
0: She does quit, but she quits in much more of a fit of personal pique you know she just she's sort of like mad as hell and can't take it anymore which is is different
1: so you really need the limo scene for your you know yeah because it
0: wasn't about we it, this is a little bit less about a sadistic person picking on someone else and it's a little bit more of a faust story so in a the in, you know in that setup the faust story is sort of like the thing where you realize oh my god i am becoming the devil and one thing that that david the director always said to me is you know he would say, just remember, it's the devil wears Prada, not the not-so-nice not so, li- not, not so nice lady wears Prada. Like It was important to keep her being very devilish, and what made her devilish was this thing of she just doesn't care really about he- the human qu- consequences of things.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about the adapting process, we have a lot of aspiring screenwriters in here. Is theater. Is it different for adapting a book for you than an original screenplay? Do you approach it differently? Yeah, it's very
0: different. Well, you have, you know, somebody's already chewed over the... Material, so you have stuff in front of you, and it's funny because I used to answer this question, say, "Well, they're both equally hard," but that's not true. <laughs> it's much harder to build an original story than to have something that someone has already laid down the tracks. You know, it's a different kind of hard, and it can be difficult, in part because you're trying to use all these things. But it's 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 definitely a comfort. You know, I always feel like, whether I know the authors or not, I always feel like they're sitting beside me. You know. And uh, so you're, right, you're already in conversation with someone when you start adapting a book. And so you're, you're very much in conversation with a piece of material. And then, you know, you sort of get, go away from it. And then, like, I had not looked at the book. I read the book once, and then I didn't look at it for a very long time. And then towards the end, I went back to the book to see if there was anything that I was missing. And one of the lines, which I know is from the book, is, please bore someone else with your questions, which oh. I just love. <laughs> Which
1: I love, and uh, Nigel pivoted really well for me. Like at the beginning, you can kind of see he's a little like that, but he just you softened. Just the Nigel. hair. Nigel, he's yeah. not
0: in the. He's there's some character named Nigel in the book. There's a couple other guys that are like that. They're sort of a composite. But I had written a different. Um, I had written him to be much nicer. He was much more like you know. In, you know, in um, there's a lot of movies where Hector Elizondo is like mm. somebody's friend then I had written him much more like that, like a fairy godmother character, and it was just really flat. And I showed it to somebody who worked in the fashion business, and they said, no one is ever this nice. And I said, well, they're nice occasionally. He goes, no, no, no one in the fashion business is nice to anyone else ever. There's no reason to be, and it takes too much time. (laughs) So um, I just made him really mean, and he's really mean to her in the beginning, and then he Develops a relationship with her, that I think you feel is earned, you know.
1: And Hollywood's completely different because everybody
0: in Hollywood is nice, so. You know, though, but that's different because <laughs> Hollywood people are phony. Wow. You know, how Hollywood is a very strong emphasis pa- placed on like nobody ever wants to confront. But for some reason, in fashion, people are really well. They're catty. They're catty, but they're not. Um, they're not as like politic. And I think it's also like in Southern California, people are really like. Sort of, you know, want to be nice, and in New York, they just they just don't even care.
1: And working with the director, what was that experience like for you? Because he was
0: amazing. I mean, he he. It's funny. He he kind of knew that when the movie came out, he kind of knew that it was going to be a um, signature movie for us. And I was like, what do you mean? Every movie we make is going to be just like this. Um, he was an he's an amazing guy, and he from the very first moment that we started talking about the movie, we just had a very similar. Um, idea of it, and and I was just talking to him on the phone a few days ago, and I had um, been listening to City of of Lights, which is the U2 song, and he sent me an email and said, I've been listening to this new U2 song, I think it would be great for the movie, and I was like, oh my God, like, we had a lot of things where we just saw that movie so similarly, we just lined up so similarly on it, and he was incredibly inclusive, and, and, um, you know, kept me around a lot, and I learned so much from him. I learned an enormous amount from him.
1: There's that kind of that, that connection. Also, then filters to the cast, because so then the cast jumps on board with you and the director, yeah. and everybody's clicking.
0: Yeah, we, you know, we had we had. Um, it was one of those things where people were kind of they got it, and they were all everybody was in the right space. I think I feel like everybody was making the same movie, and that's not always the case.
1: Well, we do have time for a couple of questions. Um, from the audience?
0: I think it's worth it. I mean, I think... Yeah, I definitely think it's worth it. I think you learn... I mean, she's learned a tremendous amount. You know, by the end, she's learned a tremendous amount. You you feel... You see that she's changed and learned. And, um, yeah, I don't think... I mean, look, when I started, I would have been happy to do any of those and all of those things to be around somebody who is amazing. And I think, you know, part of what the movie's about is she kind of thinks she's too good for it a little bit in the beginning and towards the end she starts to realize, you know, that she's been uh, lucky, that she's been privy to this legendary person and has sort of realized, you know, the ways ways that she does want to succeed and the ways that she doesn't. So, yeah, for sure. If you can get a job like that, I would take it. Well, the thing with Boston is supposed to be, like, she'll come visit him. You know, like, we have bread and we have cheese and you'll come visit. Um, I really think it's one of those things that, like, I think they have a few more weekends in them. I think they have, like, a few more months of, like, going back and forth and... Like trying to be in the, but I don't think they make it, you know. But I think there's this moment where, like, she apologizes to him, which she should do, and he sort of says, like, you know, like, you feel like they're going to spend another few weekends together and then they're going to separate. But it's hopeful, but it's not. I don't think she, it shouldn't sound like she's committing to move to Boston for sure. I think that there's a lot of fields in which women are not achieving parity with men. Um, I'm not sure why. I mean, you know, the answer about screenwriting is is I don't know, but I think it's going to change. It already has changed and is changing. I mean, I, I always say, like, I think that Lena Dunham has done more for women in film than every women in film panel combined. Um, you know, I think it's just... Um, people doing it. I mean, the thing I would say is that being a screenwriter is a lot like being an entrepreneur. It's like a lot like running your own business. And I think sometimes women go towards um, paths that are more laid out for them that they can kind of clearly see so that they can plan for their lives. And screenwriting, you really can't do that. I film in general, you kind of can't do that. You have to just sort of like throw yourself out there um, without a plan. And so... I think it's going to change. I mean, film schools are already so, that it's 50-50, so I think that it's, it's just going to take a little time for, for it to filter through. But, you know, from my, my point of view, I just would encourage women to take a chance on themselves and sort of bet on themselves. And the other thing about being a writer, any kind of writer, is you have to assume that what you have to say is important and that um, people should be listening to you. And your point of view and what you have to say is important, and I just would encourage women to do that. I mean, I do find that um, you know, anytime I've ever taught a class, or you know, men men broadly generalizing have a tendency to think that what they have to say is super interesting. Um, (laughs) And um, any study has shown that in any in groups, men tend to talk way more than women do, and so I just think it's it's you know. Culturally, getting to a place where women believe that their stories and their voices and their voice, their literal voice, needs to be heard more. Um, And it's a leap, but you know, it's something that this is the people in this room are going to do and take that leap. I think that what I maybe didn't realize, I maybe thought that some people were lucky. Like, I maybe thought you know you kind of have to be in the right place the right time and know the right people and when you're young you sort of it all seems like some game and some party that you're not invited to but really the truth of the matter I mean when you're doing something for a long time sort of what you see is like you know be a nice person and work really hard those things do work it's those two things it's like don't be a dick And work really hard.
1: Well, we always end our evening on the same question. Yeah. So uh, can you tell us about an early childhood movie theater experience that meant a lot to you?
0: Yes. I can. I have an answer for that. Oops. Um, When I was, well, I don't know when it came out, but somebody will probably know when broadcast, I wasn't very young, but when broadcast news came out, it was maybe like 84, 82, 84, something like that. And I went to see it with my dad and I often went to the movies with my dad and we went to the Pearl River Theater and I remember where we were sitting and we started watching the movie and we watched the first 20 minutes of it and I was like, this is the best movie I've ever (laughs) seen. Like, I just remember my world being completely rocked by that movie because the people were so smart and so funny and maybe 40 minutes into it, the film broke. (sighs) And uh, I was like, devastated and like you know it was a time where like there was no calling it up on the on your iTunes like it was just done it was gone it was in the Pearl River Theater it had been, disappeared and we went home and I was so devastated and then I remember my dad took me back and I got to see that whole movie and that movie for me was like I couldn't believe that there was a world where people were that smart and that funny so
1: well uh, thank you Eileen Burkina for, thank for you. thanks for
0: having you so much. me appreciate it
1: um, The, uh, the polytheta interns have a little surprise. Uh, how many of you are on that? Uh, wait till you faint and have a cube of cheese diet. <laughs> we have cubes of cheese in the lobby uh, to celebrate this evening, and uh, for, we also throw some crackers in for the people that want to kind of splurge and add some, you know, go a little crazy. So please join us in the lobby for some nice little snacks. Awesome. Thank you for coming.
0: Thank you. <laughs>